I walk into the room and my mom kind of turns over and she like kind of leans over and she's like, how was dinner, Babalu? And I was like, it was good. I brought you a morphine martini. She kind of like chuckled and I went and I held her hand and my dad's like sitting in the corner. And that was it. That was the moment your mom went. Anyway, back to Dead Talks. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we have Bobby Boyd with us today. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned before, you're a very busy man, so I appreciate you sitting down and talking to me about such a happy topic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you had you have a pretty uh, a very powerful story in your experience with your parents having lost them in the same month period. And then you mentioned your brother, which is news to me. So we have a lot to cover, but um, definitely feel free free to get into what happened with your parents and all that. Yeah. You know, I I don't talk about it too much. I've shared a little bit over the years, but it's been about five years uh, now. So it was the craziest year. It was 2016. It was the year I was falling in love uh, with my soon-to-be ex-husband, and uh, which was, uh, you know, insane as it was. And then, yeah, my parents both got diagnosed within a month apart. My mom was like in March of 2016. My dad was April. Both had diagnosed with lung cancer, different stages. My mom, I'll never forget pulling over on Sunset Boulevard and her doctor talking to me. And, you know, sometimes I laugh about it, sometimes I cry, but I'll never forget her saying, well, look, you know, if I could give your mom a, a stage, it's like stage two and a quarter. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. You know, I can I can make this work, so to, so to speak. I can, you know, I can help her. And then my dad, it was hard to get him pushed in. I remember I was on a plane at the airport getting ready to go to Las Vegas for a job. And his was stage four. And the good thing about him, or I guess the thing I'm grateful for, is um, he was never, like, he wouldn't cry as much as I do, or my mom. And he's like, well, Babalu, it's not great, I got to tell you. And I was like, what? He's like, well, we got the scans back. And I lit up like a Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I'm in the middle of the airport, and I know what that means. So I start hysterically crying. And, like, everyone's looking at me like I'm, like, a drunk passenger. But I'm like, what does that mean? And, you know, all I can take from that conversation was as I was crying, he's like, don't cry. And he always had, like, this, not the saying, but it was just, it was his whole mindset around death and what was going on. Because, as I said, too, not to pivot too much, but... His sister, we're all very close to Auntie Froggy, she also got diagnosed that year. So it was just, everyone was just like living living with it. But he, you know, he calmed me down and he said, you know, don't worry about it. And I've had an amazing life. Meanwhile, he's like only 60. 60 is like nothing now. Yeah. What is 60? The new 40? Yeah, it really is. And he went on to like say all these positive, I don't know, affirmations and just, he was, it was almost like he was okay with it. So that's that's what started it. And for me... What I took from that was, okay, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save all three of them, like Aunt, Aunt Shirley, my mom, my dad. And it was the craziest summer, the craziest year of trying everything. And, you know, it just, we can get into more details. But, um, you know, unfortunately, yeah, nothing I did was successful. What was your attitude, uh, you know, kind of from the beginning through through the whole process? Like, what was your what was your mental externally towards your your mom and your family. Oh, I went, I'm getting like goosebumps. I think I got, I just went numb. Um, numb, but then work mode, you know, 
very much, I was steadfast in what I was going to do, treatment plans, doctors I was going to call, friends I was going to lean on that I knew that were in the industry. I was just determined. I was like, this, it's not happening like this. Like you guys, my mom was 58 and my dad, like I said, was 60. So I was like, this, this isn't the end. Like this can't be. Plus, selfishly, I was falling in love and I actually got engaged that summer. And I remember calling my parents and they would usually be a little bit more ex- excited. When I hung up the phone, I looked at my then fiance and I was like, it's not good. Which meant that the time was coming because they would have been so excited. And I think they were like, they knew what they were going to miss out on. So it, it started like that. And then when we got back from the trip, when we were, it was July of that year, 2016, I just knew things were different. So I moved up to San Francisco and started taking care of them. Well, you have come, was there a dialogue? It seemed like your parents had a pretty, pretty tremendous attitude towards their own experience. So was there ever a, how often do you guys talk about it? And the reason I'm kind of asking that question is because when you said you're going steadfast and you kind of went numb to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that's like, okay, tunnel vision, I'm kind of blocking out potentially other emotions. I'm just going to focus on the task, which has helped my parents, which can maybe lead to like not neglecting, but kind of pushing aside any emotions that you might feel later. Yeah. So was there any dialogue with your parents to maybe release that? Or was there any communication on what was happening? Or did you guys just like kind of joke around and just like, live as normal? No, I was like, all of it's coming back. Because I, re- I remember, I mean, I specifically remember telling a couple friends. that I had a friend, Rachel, who was very supportive uh, at the time, who lived up there, and I've known her since seventh grade, saying, I didn't want to ask them too many questions or talk about it because I didn't want them to realize that they were dying. It's specifically with my mom, because I think I get my emotions from her. But I regret it now. Mainly because there's so many things that you can ask your parents that you don't. Let's just say your parents don't have a, your parents are alive today, right? Uh, for you know anybody out there, <laughs> ask them the questions now because I was just I just put myself in their shoes and I'm like if I was dying I wouldn't want to be asked about you know my son's favorite recipe that I make or how do how do I bake those famous cookies like you know <laughs> but these are the things that were popping in my head. One I wanted to know about more about my childhood because I didn't live in I didn't grow up in the era of Instagram and I can see how I was as a, a kid or. Didn't have a ton of photos, but I wanted to know more about them and their love story. And then, yes, stupid things like some of my mom's favorite recipes that she would make or what my dad would make. And I just thought how insensitive of me to do that. So I didn't have that conversation with her in regards to that. I wish I had, but we did with her diagnosis. She was in the hospital more than my dad actually never was until the end. So we'd have coffee talk and we talk about my life and how I was falling in love. We talk about a little bit as me being a kid. And the only time it would get really, I guess, emotional is when she would, it would click that she wasn't going to be there much longer. Or that's why people should talk about it. You wouldn't cry as much. <laughs> it was almost like a full circle moment because my obsession with coffee came from her. <laughs> and it certainly got me through like high school, which I shouldn't have been drinking it then, and studying like while I was in college. And I remember her, she had a lot of health issues growing up, or not growing up, but like when I was growing up. So there was, she wasn't like the typical mom like that, but certainly she would always try to like make sure that I had coffee and all this stuff. So I just remember sitting by her bedside, having our coffee talks, and it would get emotional when she would realize she's not going to be around much longer. And she knew I was getting married and she uh, met Josh, loved him. Uh, and she, you know, she just like promised me, you know, you'll never call anybody else mom. 
So that usually stopped the emotional conversations. <laughs> I was like, obviously, mom, I'm not going to do that. But that's like how emotional she was. She wanted to make sure that, you know, she was the one and only. I'm like, no, you're the only girl for me. So yeah, I'm sure she knew that. Like a double entendre. <laughs> I was like, you know, you're the only girl for me, mom. She's like, yeah, I know. Because you're like men now. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, her and I never... She would, I think she gave me a little gift herself just by saying that she wasn't afraid. Uh, she was sad. She didn't want to leave me yet. But she said she wasn't afraid. And she, and I think that was something beautiful that she told me. Yeah, the, uh, the feeling that you expressed in regards to wishing, which is a double-edged sword of a word as well, of what you could have said, what you could have asked. It's like, those things which I think about all the time can really eat you up. But at the same time, you got to, when I say you again, it's kind of a, a general you. You got to give yourself some slack because in the moment, our things are so different. You know what I mean? Like in the moment of when something's happening, regardless of what it is, it's just different. It's very easy when the dust is settled six years later, 20 years later, like I should have, could have, would have. And it's like at the end of the day, when it comes to loss, in my eyes, you're shedding tears because, you know, you lost someone that you loved. And to me, sometimes sometimes the more pain there is, that means that's the price of love. So yeah. I, think, I think regardless, which is a, sometimes it's a frustrating thing to say, that's the price of love, like, oh, shut up. But I think, you know, it's you got to look at it and apply what you can now. I think in the moment today, now the lessons you've learned from that. Yeah. Because does it eat you? Does that still trigger you in regards to shoulda, coulda, woulda type attitude of what you did then and wish you did now? It's something that I still work on in therapy a little bit when I, I try to talk it out. And even like hearing something like that is something maybe my therapist would say where, you know, you kind of got to look at it from a, from a different perspective where I'm just like, I wish I would have. But, you know, there, there are things that I did that I don't, you know, I don't know if any of my friends have. I don't have too many friends that have lost their parents yet because uh, I'm still so young. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you look it. But something that my family found to be very strange that I don't regret. And I think a lot of people are like, uh-oh, so get ready for this because this might be like not safe for work. So we didn't know when she was going to pass, but I had my then fiance with me. And, you know, my dad was there, but he always wanted to go to a dinner. And I'm like, all right, you know, I have to manage this new life now. Fiance, got to make sure he's okay. He's supportive. He's being very sweet by being up here. And then here's my mom. And so I was like, mom, I'm going to take him down to, to Nick's. And she was like, bring me back a morphine martini. <laughs> Did that I come was, with a button or no yeah, button? I was like, can I have one? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I remember we went and I remember what we had for dinner, uh, Josh and I, and and all of that. And we were, it was it was fine, right? And we're driving back. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to stop by whatever it was there, Rite Aid. Because I, I used to like paint my mom's nails and give her manicures on when she was in the hospital and do her makeup. So I was like, maybe I should go get some some new colors. I was like, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to. I think let's just go up. So we get to the to the hospital, and Josh like keeps saying his name too much, but this is part of the story. So he's like, I'm gonna have a cigarette, and I remember looking at him like, really, you're gonna have a cigarette? You know, like, do you not see like where this ends? Um, but I was like, okay, I'll see you up there. And I, but I really believe that somebody was looking at this. Like, I believe that there was a higher power here. Because I get off the elevator and I, I walk into the room and my mom kind of turns over. She was like right off the elevator. My dad was sitting in the corner and she like kind of leans over and she's like, how was dinner, Babalu? And I was like, it was good. I brought you a morphine martini. <laughs> she kind of like chuckled and I went and I held her hand and my dad's like sitting in the corner. And that was it. That was the moment? And I did not know. Like when you see it, it's, that was it. 
That was the moment your mom went. I, and I was like, you know, because she was medicated, so I was just like, mom, mom. And then I think the third time I did it, it was probably a scream that scared everybody, which is, I guess, not great. But then I saw my dad's reaction, and then in my head I knew. I was like, oh, no, this is like, this is it, because she's still warm, like all of this. I'm like, no, 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 she's not just sleeping. I'm like trying to shake her. And the nurses come in. I say all of that not to be dramatic about how, you know, how that went down. It's the next part I don't regret. So the people that were there came in to say their goodbyes. They told me she had passed. And I said, all right, everybody out. Everybody gets out. One of my favorite things as a kid was to, like, lay on my mom. So most people would be like, I'm out. I'm checked out, right? And I'm like, fuck this. I'm not out. So I climbed into her bed. And I played Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and I laid with her. And she was still warm, still smelled like herself. And I had that moment where I got to tell her everything that I wanted. And then that was it. Like, I was the one. I wouldn't let any doctor touch her. I'm the one that put her in the body bag. <laughs> that sounds like so more, but like very SVU. Yeah, I don't very think there's like lo- a such thing as like a Gucci... <laughs> Yeah, product body I was bag. Like, we need can... something from Dior, please. <laughs> she loves Dior. We need the gold zippers. Yeah, I'm like tassel. Uh, but yeah, and I remember the the family members like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, nobody's touching her. So then, yeah, I put her in, zipped her up, but the whole time, you know, playing the music and talking to her. And I would say 99 percent of people that I tell that story to go, uh, "No, that's weird." And no, I'm like, not, not at for all. me. No, like I. I Took her out until she went to an elevator that I couldn't go in, and and that was it. So you know, to the point of everyone deals with death differently. That's something that I don't regret. I think that's beautiful, and I think that relates to our earlier conversation off the mic in regards to how certain, like you just said, how certain people and cultures deal with death in regards to some other cultures that believe in being with the body afterwards. I think there's a reason why when you go to a funeral house, they have the families come in and see the body first. That is, I think there is a healing process there. And I think you instinctually did that. And I, I guess you could never measure how much it helped you unless you could tell me how you felt. But like, that is part of the healing and the closure that I'm sure has paid a significant amount of residual effects later on that can make you maybe feel a little bit better about the whole process. Yeah. And that's I tremendous. Mean, it brings me comfort because I know that nurses and everybody, they do this every day. You know, unfortunately, I don't know how they do it every day, but they do. So I just wanted to make sure that she just wasn't, you know, like it wasn't just another case. And a notch on the belt. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I sprayed her misty or perfume on her. <laughs> <laughs> like I just did, you know, all the gay things. <laughs> I was like that a gay son should, should should do for their mom. She went out fantastic. She did. She had great nails. There you go. She's got to look good. So I felt, you know, at peace. And what was the timeline from that to when, because your father was after your mother? Yeah. And what, how many? How long after that did your father pass? So that was September twentieth, and then my dad passed on November fifth. Jeez, so two weeks, fifteen days. Am I getting no, that right? I, no, November fifth. So November. It was like, my but, dates no, are horrible. Now listen, I got a C in math, so. <laughs> but I just didn't want to. <laughs> I was just that was a horrible miscalculation. So. But it really was. I mean, you know, not. I guess timelines really don't matter. But I remember. So yeah, it was September twentieth, and then we did what we had to do. Um, I went back to, to LA and my dad, again, was still kind of, he started to lose his vision a little bit, which was because of the, it was spreading. Um, so that was hard. And then we kind of knew like what was going to happen with that. But I would say with that timeline, he was still somewhat normal until mid 
October. And that's like when he couldn't really see to like text. And I was like, oh shit. And by the way, both of them would not let me get them 24-hour care. They would not have a nurse. Uh, so so they, they were very stubborn, which caused a lot of other issues. Was that stubborn in the fact they didn't want to burden you? I think both. And I just kept telling them this wasn't the time to be prideful and you know all of that. But I also think that maybe a nurse would have been a reminder that they were sick. And they're they also sound very, tough. They're they, very tough. They sound like stubborn sometimes goes with tough. Yeah. I mean, God, I mean, my dad would have done this alone if he could have. Mm. But I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. So when he started to like lose his vision is when I moved back up to San Francisco. And I guess this is what I was going to say because I thought if this is about, you know, inspiring people or letting them know that don't feel guilty about a lot. When all of this happened, you know, I've been a mama's boy. My dad and I didn't really get too close. Amazing father, my hero. But we didn't get really close until I was leaving to move to LA when I was younger. It's like the first time I remember him actually telling me he loved me. I know he loved me because he was the best father ever, took care of us. But I just, I will never forget that morning. So I remember talking to somebody, maybe my therapist, and I was like, man, this, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, if my mom goes first, like, I don't know how I'm going to relate to my dad. I don't know how I'm going to, like, take care of him. I don't know how this is going to, I don't know how this is going to go down. So I feel guilty for that feeling because... When he started losing his eyesight, um, uh, when I moved up there, it was like it clicked. I mean, it was just like like we were best friends, like BFFs, and we should have been. But that would have been going to talk about. And that was mid October. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a date right there. Yeah, mid mid October, and you know, I was there all day, every day, and that's what I was saying. Cooking four meals a day was probably more than that. Like he wanted every one of my mom's recipes, so I was in there like trying to recreate. Chinese chicken and her potato salad and her macaroni and cheese and her fried chicken. I was like, ay, 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 ay. But he loved all the food, uh, which was great. And we would talk for hours. And so it was like, you know, I could get like what happened to him. But I'm so grateful for that. It's like, who gets to spend, you know, however long that was, maybe a month of great conversation of sharing it like over food. And I, I I did ask him a couple of things. Like him and my mom had a little bit of a, a rocky history, um, which is for a different podcast. But I asked, I was like, did you ever forgive her? And he was like, of course I did. And he was just, he was a hero even going out, honestly, for me, because I would just be a wreck. And he just always had a, a good mindset about it. Never really played a victim. Uh, got to know my, my soon-to-be husband, pretty well, which was great. He loved him. He thanked him for coming into my life. That's an interesting dynamic of, uh, like you said, you were falling in love during this period. And, and we don't have to get it. It's just a rhetorical statement, but in regards to that hasn't, you know, that affects the relationship. I've heard so many different stories about people that are grieving and that it can go either way. Like for like my brother-in-law and my sister, he was there in the heart of the relationship during my dad's passing. So it's like that, what you're going through can affect the other person. So it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to see you guys were able to, you know, withstand yeah. that. I mean, ther- therapy helped. And then I just had the guilty syndrome. I was like, uh, you, he was there when my dad passed too. And so he saw me watch both my parents take their last breath. Jeez. He went to both funerals. And I just knew that when that chapter was closed, I mean, this is going to sound in- insensitive, but uh, the day after my dad passed, my dad knew what we were going to go do. We, we had a work obligation. More so him at the time, but he really wanted me to be there. And so the day the day after he passed, we flew to New York for a, a work obligation. And I remember being there and being like, "This is this is so strange." But 
like my dad knew about it and he, oh God, I'll never forget the election. We're not going to talk about the election, but that was during the famous election. Right. So I immediately told myself, this will not affect my relationship. I will not be a burden. I will not. And so I threw myself in therapy, but I didn't even have time to, to grieve normally because, um, you know, who I was marrying, he set up a, a ton of like engagement dinners right after that. So I was meeting new people and I remember driving in like my own Uber on the way to like meet him and whoever it was that I needed to meet that night. And I'd be crying my eyes out. And then as soon as I get out, you know, and then it was like the Bobby show. And, and that's what, I was, that's what you, kind of, you kind of allude to the Bobby show. <laughs> and that is a show. Kind <laughs> like, of, nice to meet you. Especially during that process, like you kind of, you, you do have to live those, there's a lot of dualism there in regards to, you know, being out and showing a face and then behind closed doors is a whole different ball game. So you kind of already transitioned to where I wanted to ask is back to when you said you were steadfast and focused on helping your parents, where I thought maybe that's kind of like, maybe it's not the best opportunity to feel what you're going through and grieve. Right. Do you feel like you got that out? Because now you're saying you're transitioning to a new chapter in your life, which is not selfish. I think people pass away, their duties are done, and we're the ones that are left dealing with it. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. So even if you got fast forward into a new chapter of your life, was there a moment or any time or... Was it therapy that you did feel like you got a chance to grieve or you still have you grieved in your opinion? I, th I think that's, uh, there's a two part to that. I think right away I wasn't, this is going to sound weird too. I thought I was going to be fine because of how fine my parents were with it. I thought, okay, this is just who we are. This is the kind of family we are. Like it's going to happen and you know, okay, we're going to get through this kind of thing. I wasn't prepared for like, like the nightmares, the dreams that you have after, which I learned later is a part of the grieving process where you're having dreams of like new memories with them that never existed. So then when you wake up, you think, was it all a dream? And then you have that realization, oh no, they're they're gone. That was pretty traumatic for me for quite some time. Um, and then planning of the wedding, falling more in love, meeting his entire family and realizing, you know, nobody not really knowing, like, oh, where's your parents? And then reliving that. I will say that uh, recently, so I think, yeah, I mean, our life was just so on fast track. It was just the planning of the wedding, then we got married, and I never wanted to be the Debbie Downer. So I didn't really have time to grieve because I felt like maybe this was their gift to me. I always wanted to be married. I wanted to fall in love and I didn't think that was in the cards for me, you know, uh, not to be dramatic or someone will take it in a different way, but not a ton of gay people get married. I mean, at least not in these major cities. It's just, I don't have a ton of friends that are married. So I just thought maybe this was their gift or, you know, somebody's plan like, okay, we have to leave you, but now you're going to have this beautiful family that you're going to create with your new husband and you have your own kids. And I was so thankful that they got to meet him because, you know, I thought he was a great guy. Uh, I would say recently, you know, uh, me and that gentleman were going through a, a divorce and I realized that it's a whole new grief because I thought, well, this is my new family, you know, my husband's my new family and, and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to tell them everything about like my parents and that's how they're going to live on. And it's better that way because they're not sick and they'll just always remember them as like these rock stars kind of thing. Um, and with the marriage being over, it's a new grief because now I, I definitely feel a, I feel like alone and like not in a victim way or in a dramatic way, but I'm like, wow, you know, like my parents are gone, my brother's gone. 
my my what I thought was going to be my family forever is gone. So I find myself grieving all of that, but knowing that because of where I came from, you know, it will all work out. Yeah, I think you're, I feel like your parents really built a foundation that is going to carry with you. And do you see the like that, like how your parents, like you just said, like how your parents handle it. I feel like you you almost feel, feel like a duty to handle it the same way, but at the same time, you got to tread lightly too and let yourself feel whatever the hell you're feeling. You know that, right? Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, as you could see here, it's like my dad would be like, <laughs> "Listen, enough, all right, yeah. <laughs> and, like, get it, get it together." But the relationship thing that it. it there's many forms of loss, whether it's death or relationships or loss. And yeah. it's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of similarities in the process as well. So I, it's understandable as to the trigger effect of one thing and the other. And I think that what I've learned 20 years down the road, it still comes up. Things, things still come up and that trigger this, trigger that. At least for me personally, I feel like you just kind of get better at it. You do kind of get better at it or handling the triggers at least. Uh, like maybe one thing that used to bother you one day for a week and ruin your day or week it might subside a little bit faster. So I think that goes back to the time thing we discussed. But um, I mean, what you're going through now is a lot of similarities to what you've already experienced for sure. Yeah, it's just another, it's another loss, but you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's another, it's another part of this fucking life, whatever the hell this shit is. Right. Um, but what, so you lost, when, how long, when did you lose your brother? Because that's a whole nother. Yeah, I, I was 27. So I, I was 27 when I lost him and I was 30. To when I lost my parents. So it wasn't before. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It Jeez. was, yeah. And he was, <laughs> God. I'm laughing because I'm like, sometimes when I meet somebody new and they'll ask, I'm like, oh, he passed. I'm like, how old was he? And I'm like, oh, he was 33. And so that creates a conversation. And they'll ask about my parents. I'm like, oh, yeah, they passed. And then I just start laughing because they're like, are you for real? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm for real. Yeah. I'm an orphan. Yeah. Want to adopt me? <laughs> now, uh, I don't even know what to say there because I, I I was anticipating your brother being after. Not that it really matters. I do still have one living brother, so okay. you know he's he's just he's. I think he's going to be fifty. We are closer now since um, we. I don't know if that's important to the story, but we have the same dad. So like I would say, my parents had a kid with their first love, like you know, out of high school kind of thing, like their first marriages. Although my mom wasn't married, um, and then they met. And, Planned me. <laughs> I was the chosen one. <laughs> You're the one with the halo. That's why you look so young and good. Yeah. Okay. You know, they're blessing me. Yeah. So, um, so yes, I, his name's Jason. He has two amazing kids. And so I still have him. And we, you know, we talk about history all the time. Actually, well, I don't know if this is important, but I just went back to our childhood home like not too long ago. And that was pretty, what do they say, cathartic or is it therapeutic? Therapeutic? Therapeutic. Yeah. I mean, it literally walked through. The place where I was born. I mean, tiny, 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 tiny. Where is this? The first 10 years um, is where I grew. I lived in this place. It was this tiny little apartment. Even when I go home, when they were living, I would still drive by this place. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I need to. But it was so cool um, to like walk through it and go to my childhood bedroom. I'm like, wow. All of it. Because they didn't really change the footprint. So I was like, this is kind of crazy. And my be- one, of my, one of my best friends, he actually just sent me a photo of, just randomly, of my old original house in Jersey. It's the Polyway house, which my, my, my dad was like, when, he, when we lost my dad and all that stuff. And it's weird how those just like, all of a sudden just take you through a time warp of memories and emotions and this and that. So it just really shows how much all this stuff lives in us currently. Like even no matter how long it would happen, you could easily bring that back up and just triggers a whole reign of emotions 
And it just makes me think about, I do recollect of how those emotions affected me along the process, along the last 20 years. So I feel like, you know, you're six years since your parents passed, you said? Five. Five years? I think, no, you're right, six. Five, six. I'm thinking of, a, of the other death. God bless you. The relationship. No, it's 2016, so it's six years. Yeah, six years. Yeah. Octual, yeah, five, six years. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be a transgression. There's going to be a constant uh, change. I feel like I'm sure you could even reflect on. Did over- you stay in your childhood home the whole time, or did your mom want to leave? I'm trying to think of how how long after we left. 2001. So we left. I think we left pretty soon after. Maybe like next couple of years, a year or two. We got we we got out. It was a, it was a big. It was too much house, and then there was a lot happening with my mom. You know, like my dad was the breadwinner at the time, so there was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she was work. My mom was working, but you know, I don't know. It, was, it made more sense, I think, to sell the house and and move on. But um. Yeah, I don't know what her thought process was. That my mom. Have you th- ever interviewed her? Not yet. Well, actually, we did, but it was the ver- before I started. Like, my, my mom was the first one. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no format to the podcast, so we did record. But like everything was so janky, so I plan on now that I have everything together, I want to I want to interview my whole family, like my sisters and my mom, and do it all separately because that would be a very a very powerful conversation. Because I'm sure we're going to learn things. Like I mean, I'm very close to my sisters and my mom. Thank God, another foundation of my life. We have plenty of conversations, but that would be like, okay, we're honing in on it. <laughs> Mike, cameras, camera action. We're probably going to learn a lot of things that we didn't even know. And it's such a different perspective. Like you think about how you handled your parents' loss, how your brother handled your parents' loss. You could be in the same room, same family, but you both handle it differently. And it reminds, it reminds me of, I'll say this quickly, it reminds me of, a, I don't know why I thought about it so heavily. My nephews, one time there's a lightning, a thunderstorm going on. And I noticed how scared my nephew Luke was, the younger one, and my older nephew Jake at the time. They were probably like six and eight. And I was like, they're both in the same house, grew up, you know, the same family, similar ages, but one was terrified of the thunder and the other one was like excited and fascinated by the thunder. And it really just made me think of, that is so applicable to perspective in general, whether it's loss or whatever it is. You could be in the same place, growing up the same way, we're each unique to the scenario and we both perceive it so differently. Mm-hmm. They perceive the thunder as ter- a terrifying. He perceived it as interesting. I feel like that's so important to healing by simply flipping the fear or whatever you're feeling and just looking at the opposite side. Like, I'm, I feel this shitty, but look at the opposite side. It's just that perspective can really, can really change your entire life and how you perceive the trauma. Not that it's going to heal it or make you feel better instantaneously, but I think perspective is arguably the single most important ingredient to healing, if you ask me. I agree. Yes. Are your sisters older? Yes. So they definitely have a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, they're five, Gina's five and a half years older, Jacqueline's seven years older. So I was 12. She, she they was were just like, graduating high school. One, Jack, Gina, we just dropped Gina off to first, she just got to college. And then, then we got the call like shortly after. And then Jacqueline was, um, she was lo- local, but they were seven, like 17 and 18. Wow. I was 12. I feel like I don't remember so much. There's so much shit that I just, which is I want to like pull back up. I need to look at some alternative methods of remembering. And that's why part of me is like, it's frustrating. There's so many things. I think my body just out of shock and just uh, defense mechanism, just like, okay, nope, 
we're gonna we're gonna put that somewhere else and you're gonna deal with that later which is ironic and it's real like the, it's so. real yeah the body's like doing us a favor like we're gonna protect you right now but we're gonna fuck you up later <laughs> it's like, all until we call chelsea handler go do ayahuasca then we're like what <laughs> yeah i'm crying shitting and throwing up everywhere and i know sudden, yeah, like I, what is this the talk 90s about, talk about ugly cry ugly ayahuasca i think is a whole nother thing oh i want to do that before i die yeah me too i i've done dmt i just need to get mentally prepared for ayahuasca because that's a whole nother ballgame i don't that. like throwing up i certainly don't like the other thing either but i, I feel like i went through ayahuasca <laughs> I, well <laughs> i went through I'm ayahuasca gay, we don't do that <laughs> <laughs> in our next episode of dead talks mm. uh the, i i feel like i went through ayahuasca recently i got like a stomach flu for a, a a day and i was like oh i can do ayahuasca i can get through this because that's essentially i feel like what it was without the tripping but um i don't know i think we're going to figure it out and you will figure it out as long as you trust that i think that goes back to the perspective and it seems like you're i mean you're doing great you seem happy. I don't know what you're doing behind closed doors, but <laughs> but are you good today? Listen, it's it's a good day. Yeah, right. I told I was telling you today feels like a um. Oh God, that's so cheesy. I'm a very cheesy human being, but I was like, you know, it's like a it's like a rebirth today. Today's the first day that there's a lot of change happening. Which again, maybe there's a, a higher power. Like I usually don't talk about death or my parents. Certainly, like not on this level. And yeah, we just met too. I know. Well, I know, but you're Italian, and I have a. I have an affection for Italians. All right, listen, we're the best. What am I going to say? I'm not going to argue. You are the best. Thanks. Well, you're a great, you're fantastic. I think your story is amazing. Thank you, because you just said you don't, you haven't really, you know, you spoke about this in the public eye other times, but the fact that you're willing to sit here and open up about it, that is, regardless of what you just said, even though it was all amazing and beautiful, even though my videographer said not to mention this, it was a, this was our third attempt at uh, fixing some technical glitches. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, it's so amazing. The read, the shade of it all. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, what you're doing and the fact that you're sitting here talking about it, that is, that is the, the biggest part of this podcast. And I think I'm hoping this will get out to people and it will get out to people that are going through it, that haven't gone through it. Talking about it, showing your vulnerability, and explaining what you've gone through is going to, to relate to what one, two, three, ten, twenty, hundred people doesn't matter. It is relatable, and the fact that you're talking about it goes such a long way. And I, I want to thank you for doing that because I'm hoping it was somewhat helpful for you. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, it's a conversation that is important, and the fact that you're sitting here opening about being vulnerable, sharing your feelings, is what it's all about. I'm here for that. I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, I've like I've said, people know that my parents have passed. I've talked about it, but I've never given that kind of detail. And I think, if anything, you know, you can inspire in different ways. But I, I think for hopefully, if anybody, you know, when they watch it, it's life. Your life doesn't end, and you don't have to crawl into a hole and you know not live out your dreams. I think that you, there's a way to honor the loved ones that you lose, tragic or not. I mean, it's all always tragic, but you know, there's different levels of that. But, you know, life life doesn't end. And the best way, I think, to honor the people that you love so much is to live the best, authentic, happy life you can live yourself. And that's the way you make them proud. Amen. That was the mic drop right there. But I think the, to cap that off, you chose to do that, like you said. I think it, it is a decision. I think people need to realize that it, there is an external event that caused you to, that led you to perceive it and, and react this way. But at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, it's like Viktor Frankl said in Man's Search for Meaning, the only thing that people can't control or events can't control is what's up in here. Like that's the one thing, no matter what, he can torture you, try to change it, but you control your thoughts. And as woohoo as that sounds, it's a choice. So you can choose to the path that you took, which is towards the light, it seems. So I commend, it. I commend you for that. And uh, I thank you. I feel blessed that you're here on this new rebirth day that you're saying that that's is. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I thank you for letting me share a little bit of this day with you. 
And um, I don't know if there's anything you want to plug in before we wrap it up. I don't know if you have anything going on. I know you have a lot going on. I'll attach whatever you got going on in the description of this, but I don't know if there's any good uh, recipes coming out or appearances or anything you want to drop. I'm going through a lot of boxes since I'm having this rebirth and changing my life. I did find some some old recipes of my mom's, so oh, nice. I'm going to um, try to recreate some of those from like what I can read on my Bobby Boy Living on TikTok. So I think that's going to be like, that's going to be some good closure. Love that. Like that, that's going to be fun. But yeah, no, other than that, I just appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Oh, thank you, pleasure. Bobby. I appreciate you, man. It's, uh, it's nice to finally meet you. And uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to Bobby Boyd and his fantastic story. So another episode of Dead Talks. Until later. Thank you, guys. <laughs>